Welcome everybody to a special edition of Real Early. My name is Larry Sternshine, and today's guest is my friend Ole Levensen from Germany, who's also my programmer for my yearly November challenge that takes place every November. I thought it would be a lot of fun to get him on the show to talk to him about growing up in Germany and how he got into movies, especially action movies, but also spend time going over the list of rules for this year's Movember. Since it is my challenge that I created, and this is my show that I created. So I just want to let everybody know that for the first 40 minutes is a discussion where I get to learn more about Ole living in Germany, how the German dubs of movies changed the context of what you were seeing, which was very interesting to me, and I think you guys will learn a lot about that. And then after that 40-minute mark, we're going to go through our rules for Movember. For those who are unfamiliar with it, this is a yearly challenge I do in November for action movies in honor of what I think is the goat of action cinema, John Woo. And there are rules that allows you to choose movies to get to 30 movies in that month. So, for example, we have a whole section based off of those who may have passed away in the past year. Like, for example, Wolfgang Peterson passed away this year. So you would be tasked with picking a movie that he had directed and watch that for the month. So that is the idea behind Movember to kind of celebrate action cinema that I love so much. And I think those that are unfamiliar that want to learn more about it, you can check out my Movember Twitter account, W-O-O-V-E-M-B-E-R. And all you really need is a letterboxed account. But even if you don't, I'll post the rules on my Movember Twitter page. And it's a lot of fun. I think you guys really dig it. So without further wait, here is my episode with Ole Levinson. Ole, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. It is a eight-hour time difference between us, if I'm correct. Yeah, that's right. And you are in Germany. What part of Germany do you live? I live in Potsdam, which is right next to a building. Okay. And you've lived in Germany your whole life. Yes. So what year were you born? 1989. Okay, so you were born after the wall went came down, right? And my, my timeline slightly off. before that. Okay. So what was it like growing up post Berlin Wall? Uh, did your parents kind of tell you how it was different before then? Or like, what was it like? Because since you didn't really know it, because you were well, well, no, and um, I grew up in what used to be a West Germany. So, uh, so did my parents. So, not that much uh, changed for them. I mean, I have some friends and relatives who grew up in East Germany. So, for them, it was quite a bit different. Yeah, I remember because I was around twelve years old when that when that went down. But I live in america so i don't really pay attention too much but i just remember that that image on tv um so it's 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 cool to talk to somebody who 
whose parents were around and and whatnot to kind of give like some sort of uh context in it and but the west germany side was probably the, the easier side to live on i'm assuming right yeah from what i've heard mostly true yes so were they big movie fans your parents yeah not, not quite as big as me but they really influenced me and kind of shaped my taste in movies a bit yes how, how so were they into american western movies or more movies, yeah uh, actually uh, i watched a lot of movies with my dad when i grew up and he was like into old westerns and james bond movies and all that uh, sort of thing all right so what was his favorite western well he, he still is a big uh, john wayne fan i think the search us is his favorite yeah that's a that's a classic john wayne movie and he also liked James Bond, too. So did he have a preference for a Bond? Yeah, Sean Connery was his favorite. That's the one he grew up with. So that kind of shapes you. So who's your favorite Bond, then? It's kind of difficult to answer. Um, I, I really like Timothy Dalton, which is kind of an unpopular choice. But he kind of did the same thing Daniel Craig did but earlier and the world wasn't quite ready for it yet i think yeah the license to kill and the living daylights were the two they yeah. did which did you prefer a license to kill license to kill that's that's where his uh friend dies right in the, in the wedding well he doesn't die he just gets uh, half eaten by a shark <laughs> man what is with bond movies and sharks like i feel like <laughs> they love sharks yeah, we don't have enough sharks in movies nowadays. I mean, there are shark movies, but not in like regular action movies where people have like a shark tank and feed their enemies to the sharks. This needs that, a comeback. That's a good point. So there's a lot of movies that are being made right now about shark attacks. But like, that's just like, you know, you go, you kind of know what you're getting into. But if you have a romantic comedy that happens to have a shark attack in it, I think that would be way more interesting. Yeah, I mean, you can improve kind of any genre by adding a shark to it. Like, if you consider uh, Fulci's a zombie, there's a fight between a zombie and a shark, and it's amazing. Yeah, if you've never seen the zombie versus shark scene from that movie, it's it's kind of incredible they filmed it, but just don't find out how they did it. Cause it's, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, that, that's cool. And your mom liked movies too? Yeah, she also liked movies. Like, I, I remember uh, one of my favorite uh, films is still uh, Blues Brothers. And I remember when uh, she bought it on, on VHS and we watched it together. That was really a defining experience. What was it about the Blues Brothers that you guys liked? I mean, it, it kind of has everything. I mean, it's, Got great characters, great jokes, great music, amazing car chases. It's kind of so many movies rolled into one. Yeah, I grew up in Chicago area, so that that movie is just kind of in my DNA. And that's probably one of the rare movies that may not have been improved with the shark because it's already pretty amazing as it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I talk to people, where they're getting into movies they 
had like video stores and whatnot. So when when you were growing up, were, were there a lot of video stores that you can go to, or was it mostly TV that you used? Um, I grew up in a small town, so there was a video store, but it wasn't a very good one. So most of the stuff I watched uh, was either directly on TV or even more so uh, recorded from TV and then watched on tape later. All right, so you guys had a VHS recorder. Do you yes. remember the channels that you guys had? Were they like um, showing a lot of Western films or was that like a pay channel you had to get? No, I mean, American films were pretty popular on most public channels. And what did, so in, in America, they showed the Beastmaster a lot growing up. What were some of the movies they showed constantly that you saw every time it came on? Uh, so like I said, Bond movies were on TV a lot. And also, I, I don't know if it has changed by now, but um, there are a lot of Italian films on German television. Like there's a popular duo of actors, Bud Spencer and Terence Sill, who are still huge in Germany. They had a lot of like action comedies in the 70s and 80s, and their films were shown all the time on TV. That's kind of how I got into Italian films. Okay, so what kind of movies were they making? Because when I think of Italian, for me, it's usually horror or it's those like violent police ones. Was that the ones they were shown or were they more lighthearted? Yeah, they were more lighthearted. Uh, they uh, started off uh, in like regular, more or less serious uh, spaghetti western type movies, but then they focused more and more on the comedy aspects. So uh, a lot of uh, fight scenes in which no one seriously gets hurt, people just get punched in the face uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of funny to think about because usually Italian movies are pretty. The ones that I see are gory. So if they got punched in the face, there'd be like blood going out. But just to think of an Italian movie with no blood from getting punched sounds kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, Italian cinema kind of uh, went in different directions. Like there always were a lot of comedies, but I don't think they really traveled that far. Like a lot of the Italian uh, comedy stars are still huge in large parts of Europe, but not in America. So I think only the violent stuff is really popular overseas. When I think of comedies that kind of come to America that do very well or more of like the slapsticky kind of things, was that what Italian comedy was? Or is that more like wordplay? Because I feel like like Hong Kong comedies, for example, are very hard for Western audiences to kind of understand because there's a lot of wordplay involved. And I was just wondering if Italian comedies are like that or if it's more just like silly. Well, there is a lot of slapstick, but I, I think the thing is why they were so popular here is because of uh, the dubbing. Like uh, in Germany, most foreign films are dubbed. So there's like a huge industry for that. And a lot of uh, humor in the Italian films uh, couldn't really be translated directly. So a lot of the dubbing was just uh, shit the translators made up. And this kind of added to the, the cult factor of these films. Like, I think if you watch them in Italian with accurate subtitles, 
notice like a lot of your favorite jokes aren't even in there because they were made up for the dub. Wow, that's actually interesting. I never really thought about that. And when I see like a movie with dubbing, I sometimes wonder if that's actually what they're saying or if it's just sort of like some close approximation. But you're saying in Germany, they were just like, well, they might not get this joke. So I'll do this joke instead that kind of fits. And that's wild to me that they would do that. So like if I were to watch that movie, you might together, you might laugh and I would just be like, I don't know why that's funny because I would not have known that that was a made up joke. So, yeah, I think kind of changed now. Like nowadays, the dubbing isn't as interesting as it used to be. It's more like a straight translation. But in the, uh, particularly in the 70s, like German dubs were crazy. They sometimes barely had anything to do with the original dialogue. So, when you're going to a movie theater in Germany now, then, is it dubbed or is it now just subtitled? Um, in most places, it's dubbed. But uh, in major cities, you also have um, theaters that show the original version, sometimes with, sometimes without subtitles. So I usually prefer watching the original nowadays because the modern dubs are, aren't really as, as interesting. So what are the big movies in Germany right now? Like what, what, is, what are people going to see? I haven't really checked out like the, the cinema charts, uh, so I don't really know what's going on, but I'm pretty sure like the same stuff is popular in America is also popular here. Like all the Marvel movies are always huge. Like um, a lot of the animated stuff, like the Minions film is super huge here still. Huh, that doesn't surprise me that Marvel movies are popular in Germany, considering that they're popular everywhere. Yeah. So when you were a kid then going to the movies, uh, what were some of the more popular ones that you went to that uh, somebody in the United States would be surprised to find out was a huge hit? Because it might not have been a huge hit here. Mm, let me think so. I didn't go to the theater as a kid that often because, like I said, I grew up in a small town. So I would have to go to the next major city, which would be Hamburg, to check out the movie. And it was always quite an effort to get there. So I didn't do it that often. Uh, I don't really remember anything unusual from that time right now. Okay, so I let me change the question a little bit. What was the first action movie that you saw in theaters? Do you remember? Let me check. Yeah, I think it, it actually was one of the James Bond movies. One of uh, one with Pierce Brosnan, I think. Uh, the world is not enough. I think I saw that in the theater and it really blew me away. Is that one of your favorite Bond movies now still? Or uh, is it just... No, it hasn't really held up that well. That's that's the one with Denise Richards, right? As the physicist? Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Um, is what's your favorite Pierce Brosnan Bond, by the way? It's Golden Eye. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. That was actually the first. That might have actually been the first Bond movie I saw in theaters. Even though, you know, growing up in the eighties, I saw a bunch of movies in in the theaters. But I think that was the first first one I saw theatrically. Um, so one of the things that we're doing this podcast together for is because I do a I started this challenge called Woovember, and you've kind of ran with it and been what I would call the programmer of Woovember. And it is a monthly or one month challenge of action movies in November uh, in honor of John Woo. And the idea is there's categories. You pick movies based on those categories and you watch them and you try to do 30 movies. And action movies is a big part of my life with uh, cinema, especially Hong Kong movies and whatnot. So, when did you realize that you loved action movies and like, was it because in the nineties, the action cinema was pretty great, I think. So what, what were some of the ways that you were able to see uh, action movies from around the world, uh, especially Hong Kong? Like how, how did you get those movies in Germany? So with uh, Hong Kong movies, uh, um, I, uh, I think the first one I watched was A Drunken Master 2. Uh, I saw that on television. There were a lot of uh, Jackie Chan films on German television because um, it's kind of similar to the Italian stuff like the, the slapstick commonly always translate well and the dubbing usually takes care of all the cultural references in the original language you wouldn't understand. So they just replace it with other stuff. And Besides uh, old school kung fu movies, there wasn't a lot of Hong Kong stuff that was readily available because there was a huge uh, censorship problem with action and horror films in Germany. Like most of John Woo's classic films, it was almost impossible to get them uncut. But I, I remember when I watched A Hard Target on television, and there was like 20 minutes of footage missing. Like most of the uh, people getting shot was just cut out. So the movie didn't make any sense. It's just when Dan running around, like loading his shotgun, shooting at nothing because all the death scenes have been cut out. So uh, the Jackie Chan films, they were not so violent. So they could get away with showing them mostly intact. That's uh, how I got into Hong Kong films. And only later on uh, when I was able to like other DVDs from abroad, I was able to see all the other classics, all the early John Woo films. That that's really funny because on my November Twitter account, I like to do the different cut versions of Hard Target to kind of see the difference because there was a lot of cuts that were made. So now I gotta get the Germany version because I gotta see that movie with 20 minutes of violence cut out. So it's what like an hour long <laughs> movie, probably at that point. It's barely over an hour long. So with commercials, it's back to 90 minutes, but without it, it should be pretty short. It's basically just he loads his shotgun, does a flip, and then he loads his shotgun that does a flip. That's pretty much the whole movie. Yeah. But it makes sense, though, that Jackie Chan would be a big thing there because, like, 
his, it's basically just live action three stooges stuff you know like nobody's there's no real major blood in any of his his films or whatnot uh so that that's probably why he translates so much in many different countries yeah i mean like it's basically like a silent film you can just watch it in the original language not understand a word and just focus on the visuals and you'll still get like 90 percent of what makes the picture great yeah um i think that's probably why hong kong cinema was so loved by so many people is just because it was just so like the action was just so crazy that like even a non like gunfight movie it was just like how are these people not dead you know (laughs) what i mean it's just i i I think that's why i particularly gravitate towards hong kong movies just because they're insane cinema Yeah, it's similar for me. Like in a lot of Western movies, they kind of hold back a bit, not trying to go too weird, not trying to mix tones the way they do in Hong Kong movies, but there they just don't give a fuck. They throw everything in there. These movies just go harder than most other cinema does. And now the question that I have is, were there action movies made in Germany? And what were they like? Yeah, there are a few good ones, but the thing is, the German film industry isn't really that big. So if a German director a director wants to make action films, he really goes to Hollywood. So that's why you get like Roland Emmerich, Wolfgang Peterson, all became blockbuster directors in Hollywood. Yeah, Wolfgang Peterson, he had quite a pretty good a career of movies, kind of summer better than others but uh i haven't seen him make a movie in a while has has he just stopped making movies or is he making movies in germany now well he died a couple of weeks ago that's why yeah and which before is that, i think he made one final film in germany um but yeah he hasn't been really that active in the last couple of years yeah i don't know why i asked that question because i totally knew that he passed away so we're not going to edit that out though because people need to know that sometimes i'm just dumb it's fine actually this kind of brings up a good point then so as the programmer of movember uh we do an anniversary section uh for uh, for deaths uh at uh memorial special right here and one of the memorial special is wolfgang peterson um why what made you decide that to be a major portion of the challenge well like i said earlier there aren't that many uh, german action films so the channel exported directors who go to hollywood are kind of our major contribution to the genre and wolfgang peterson has made quite a lot of classics like in the line of fire or air force one of a perfect storm it's pretty great action director also if you check out a toy it's kind of the movie itself doesn't really work but the fight scene between brad pitt and eric banner is incredible i've actually never seen troy so if i wanted to i can make that one of my movies i see for november 
what would you recommend i see troy well it depends on what other films by him you have seen like i've actually never seen outbreak although that was like a huge hit so i'm making that my uh, what can peterson film this year but other than that i think uh, in the line of fire or air force one would be good places to start if you haven't seen them yet i saw outbreak i mean i've seen a bunch before but i remember watching it during the lockdown portions of the pandemic and it was like a really big hit and watching that i was like man if only this the whole world could just be solved by getting that one monkey like and then having that i was like man if only outbreak was real yeah i kind of avoided like the classic pandemic films uh, during covid so but what i did watch was the patriot with steven seagal in which he fixes the pandemic by brewing herbal tea. So that would also be great if it was just that easy. Yeah, herbal tea solving the world's problems would be great. Yeah, herbal tea and like stabbing people with wine glasses or whatever he does in that film. I've actually never seen that one. I think that was like his first direct-to-video movie at that point. And I just, I don't know, it never sounded great, so I never bothered to watch with it. Yeah, it's mostly boring, but it has a couple of fun parts. Does he do a speech about anything like he does in On Deadly Ground? Well, not a long speech. Uh, I think in On Deadly Ground, it's like five minutes of pure speechifying. But he, he does get his moments. Yeah, speaking of Seagal, uh, one of the ways, well, the, not one of, like the way we met was in the comment section of outlaw Vern, his site where he does movie reviews uh, what is it about Vern's movie reviews that made you follow him from in a cool news over to his own thing i think uh, i first uh, discovered him when i heard someone else use the term uh, post-action to describe the whole quick card shaky cam uh, bond supremacy kind of a style of shooting films and i looked up where the term came from. So I found Vern's site where he, uh, I mean, he, he still occasionally mentions it, uh, it, uh, the concept of action clarity, which has always kind of fascinated me how, I mean, in the 80s and 90s, most action films were crystal clear and then in the 2000s it kind of changed. So this has always bothered me and that's why I try to find out uh, if other people also felt that way. Yeah, I followed Vern when he was doing the like, Ain't It Cool News and he just went on his own thing. And he was definitely one of the first to be like, hey, wait a minute, guys. I can't see what the fuck's going on. <laughs> Can we just hold the camera still for a few minutes? And I mean, I like those Bourne movies fine, but I just I can't watch them that much now just because it's so shaky um do you have that same issue with the Bourne movies or, or do you still think they're at least better than most of what came after it i mean they're better than the, the imitators like uh, shit like olivier megaton and it's taken two and three where it's like 15 cuts to uh, show liam neeson jumping over a fence but still, it's, it's not nearly as good as it could be if it was shot in a different way. Like if you watch the behind the scenes footage, 
from the Bond ultimatum where the camera is further back and it's longer takes, the fights look way better that way. Like there's a lot of effort like Jeff Imada put into, into the choreography and all these details get lost in the released version of the film. Yeah, that's that's a shame. That kind of reminds me of when I watched Mortal Kombat 21, at this movie that I just hate. Because like when I'm at the point where I'm counting the cuts while watching an action scene, maybe you're doing something wrong. <laughs> so like that first fight, uh, there's like an early fight in Mortal Kombat where I was like, I counted like 60 cuts in like 30 seconds. It was like, <laughs> how do you even... Like, why are you doing that to movies? So it's good to have someone like Vern being like, hey, watch this stuff, because this stuff is pretty good. Yeah, and nowadays you also have, like, Scott Atkins and his YouTube channel who talks about this issue pretty much all the time. Like, whenever there's a kind of action scene that isn't covered quite the way that shows it the way it was meant to be, it gets pretty pissed, and it's always... Uh, fascinating how involved he is not just uh, with performing the action but also the way it is presented uh, through uh, camera and editing which is pretty cool but I think he might get into directing at some point the way he cares about this uh, topic yeah it wouldn't surprise me I know that uh, he's got Accident Man 2 coming out and he has these two directors and I have a feeling that at this point he's a collaborator that's almost like he's like a co-director himself probably um and i think a lot of movies could benefit from having more collaboration uh between the stars and the directors for action movies do you think that is a true or do you think it's just a matter of making sure that somebody has their finger on the button making sure that it's like well made and whatnot I mean, there needs to be someone who is involved in the entire uh, process, like that way the camera can be part of the choreography, the way action movies are shot in Hong Kong is pretty much already edited before it is shot, like they figure out exactly which angles they need to show a specific sequence of moves, and that way it can't be fucked up in the edit later on, and then a lot of the films where the clarity is an issue, it's like the choreographer did one thing and then the editor did something completely different, like they're not on the same page. And if um, the director also has a background in choreography and also understands editing, that way can also kind of be streamlined into one more coherent process so that it um, makes sense. One of the things that... uh what we're going to do on the podcast here is kind of go through the the rules the list for November and I want to just sort of explain a little bit so for people who are listening that don't exactly know what I'm talking about there is a month in November that I decided that I'm just going to watch action movies because uh, six years ago, or actually technically seven years ago, I decided that I was just going to watch action movies in November because October is horror. So I would I was part of a film group that you had to watch 30 horror movies in month of October and half have to be 
new movies and you can watch some old ones. So I mentioned on the Outlaw Vern comment section that, hey, this November, I'm just going to watch 30 action movies. And you saw me do that and you were like, hey, I have an idea. So tell me a little bit about what made you want to kind of add the the rules and whatnot to this Wu Ember thing that I just made up just for my own sake. So um, the idea basically comes from Hooptober, which is a challenge on Letterboxd uh, where the month of October you watch uh, 31 horror films based on specific rules so that it's uh, completely different every year. And it's, I mean, obviously there will be Toby Hooper, Toby Hooper movies in there because it's named after him. But every year there will be like uh, something completely different, which is often connected to that year. So, and I try to do the same thing for action movies. So that way some of the um, challenges are related to films that came out this year for people who died this year, and to films uh, which have uh, an anniversary this year, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And also one of the reasons I uh, joined in in your uh, November idea was because uh, I've been celebrating Dolph Bronson Day for a couple of years before it, because on the 3rd of November, it's the birthday of both Adolf Lundgren and Charles Bronson. So two giants of action cinema share a birthday. And this needs to be like an official holiday. People need to watch Adolf Lundgren and Charles Bronson movies every year on November 3rd. Yeah, that's a goal of mine is to make more people aware of that. And I try doing a hashtag and stuff. And it hasn't quite caught off yet, but eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna... to it's going to be a thing. Uh, but like, I have to say though, I, I really appreciate that you like doing the programming, the idea for the, for this stuff. Cause I, I think it's really fun. Um, it's kind of grown a little bit every year. Um, for those who don't know too, Letterboxd is like a social media uh, site where you can log movies, review them, make lists, uh, talk to other people about the movies that they they've seen it's a really great site that i like using uh do you like letterbox as well like what's your favorite part about letterbox i like uh, the statistics where you can try to check out which was like a most watched uh, star or director in a certain year because i watch so many movies i kind of lose a track of all of it so I think the reason why I joined up in the first place because people kind of kept asking me like, what were your favorite movies that came out last year? And I could never remember it because there were so many movies and I don't know where one year ends and one begins. It kind of blurs together. So having this uh, online diary that you can sort in different ways is just uh, super convenient for me. I agree. I love the stat part just because it kind of is a snapshot of what you're really into. Uh, so, like, I just pull it up right now, real quick, and no surprise, the most watched director is John Woo <laughs> with uh, 20 of his films, even though there's still plenty more to go. They're just hard to get. 
I think that's probably the hardest part about being a fan of some directors. It's like you can't get every movie because they're just maybe not available or whatnot. So it gets to be pretty tough. Yeah, some of John Woo's really early stuff, like a bunch of the comedies he did, they're almost impossible to find. Like some are on YouTube, some only exist on VHS. I was kind of lucky uh, two years ago. I uh, looked at the catalog of a local library and they actually had an old John Woo movie on VHS and I still have my old VHS player. So I just watched it uh, that way. Uh, which one was that? Um, uh, I don't remember the title. I can look it up. Wait a minute. It was definitely one of his early comedies. There's that one to hell with the devil with that great space invader scene. If you have, if you want to check that up on YouTube, listeners, you should uh, go see the uh, space invaders scene in that one. It's pretty wild. I think it was one Tiger one, which is like a film he made in 1985. Yeah, I kind of. Really crazy slapstick comedy, kind of like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I saw Laughing Times. That one also is a lot of slapstick, and it's more of a, it's a really a Charlie Chaplin sort of love letter film. And Dean Sheck does Charlie Chaplin, and it's just, it's so, the humor's so relenting that like I was tired by the end of it because there's a joke every second. It's like, it's been, they even make a joke about suicide in the movie. It's really weird. Yeah, I put Laughing Times on my Wolfember list this year because it's one of the few John Woo films I still haven't seen. And also because Dean Shack died last year. So it kind of serves a double purpose as a memorial special and as a John Woo movie. Yeah, Dean Shack was. Uh pretty good comedian he he has a lot of great facials uh, like facial comedy a lot of a lot of mugging for the camera uh which is what i liked about dean check but he's also has well he mugs in it a lot but he's also in a better tomorrow too it's pretty sweet in that movie yeah better tomorrow too is i think his best performance like there's uh, a lot of uh, weird stuff in in the first half of a movie where he gets to muck a bit, but not in a comedic way, which makes it even weirder. But in the finale, he becomes a super badass like the other guys, which is great. You don't really see him uh, in that kind of heroic role that often. He's usually more like a sidekick or like a minor antagonist. Yeah, that's one of the best parts about Better Tomorrow 2 is that last like 20 minutes where Wu's just like, killing everybody and blowing shit up in this house and everybody looks cool as hell so that's like uh i every every if you were to ask me like every month what my favorite john Woo movie is it'll probably change all the time but uh i put up a better tomorrow too it's one of my top four movies on letterboxd right now but i'm sure that would change all the time yeah is- a, a better tomorrow too for me it's like the overall movie is not um, as good as the first one or 
uh, is good stuff like the killer or hard boiled. But the, the finale is some of the best stuff John Woo has ever shot. Like for me, my personal favorite is still hard boiled because like no movie has more great action scenes than that one. What? Wait, was that was Hard Target your first John Woo movie, and was Hard Boiled your second, or was it reversed? Um, so my the first one I watched might have been Hard Target, like in the shitty edited for television version. But my favorite one is Hard Boiled. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw Hard Boiled. I was just like, let me watch that again, and then I watched it like three times in a row and then you just start fast forwarding to all the cool stuff and yeah that movie is amazing yeah like the, the first scene alone is good enough to be the climax of any other action movies and that would be good enough to make it a classic and it's like the third best action scene in the film Jammu has done that a few times like face off the opening scene of face off is the finale of most movies yeah so it's kind of unfortunate um, we haven't gotten that much John Woo movies recently. Like, I still haven't seen The Crossing because it's not really available anywhere. Have you yeah, seen that Yeah, I can't find it. Uh, my, my friend, Jeffrey, he had a copy, and, but I couldn't get the subtitles for it. So I haven't, I didn't watch it when I had opportunity to, but... Most people don't seem to like it that much, but like I, I have to see it, you know. I mean, there's got to be good stuff in it. I can't. There's no way John Woo made like a hundred percent terrible movie. Yeah, even even his weaker films, stuff like uh, Paycheck or the Once a Thief remake, they still have uh, lots of good moments. They're worth seeing for that. Yeah, and he's got a new one coming out. Silent Night, and I'm hoping that trailer drops soon because it's a dialogue-free action movie, which sounds like it's just you're just eating sugar for 90 minutes. But I'll take it. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Sounds great. So I figure now we should probably just go through the different stuff on the November list for those who want to to uh listen and we'll we'll post this on on uh twitter here shortly i don't have an exact date yet but this is sort of like wet people's appetite though for all i know i i say hey it's out now and then i post the show and then they can do it the next day or something i don't know see i don't plan very that far ahead uh but uh i figured you know this would be fun just to kind of go through the list uh just to kind of get people's appetites ready to go so obviously the first major task to complete November would be to watch an action film directed by john woo and that's the the for my money the greatest action director of all time so that's why you know i named the the challenge after him so that would be the first thing someone would do and you said you're gonna watch laughing times for yours yes yeah, it's what's funny is it's a comedy, but there's actually action in it. There's like fights in that movie, so it's like Charlie Chaplin fight scenes. So if that's something you're into, it's, it's on YouTube in like 15 parts, and every part's like 
15 minutes long. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I remember like the early days of YouTube, uh, like the maximum video length was 10 minutes. So I watched a lot of movies that are unavailable in any other way by watching it in these 10 minute chunks. And sometimes one part was missing because it was deleted for copyright reasons or whatever. And you never notice it when you start watching if all the parts are there. So when you're kind of uh, fucked with uh, an unfinished movie. That is uh, kind of interesting. Like I remember like on Twitter, you can only do like 140 characters and everything was real short, but now everything's much longer now. So at least on YouTube, you can watch full movies. That's except for this one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's never been re-uploaded. I think the, the version there is over 10 years old. It's probably pretty shitty video quality, but I'm going to watch it anyway because there's no other way to get it. Yeah, it's not that bad. You Like picture quality, you, you can tell what's going on. You can read the subtitles just fine. Yeah, subtitle, subtitles on Hong Kong films are always kind of a weird thing like especially like the original subtitles they made back in the day which are barely readable if they're going by too fast and they often have like weird grammar like they're written by someone whose uh, first language is not english and then never proofread so that'll be fun there there is actually one i'll never forget this i want i went to a midnight screening in the early 90s for once a thief and once a thief has this guy with playing cards that he throws at people and he catches a bunch at one point and the subtitle said, I have so many aces. I think I have AIDS. And I was just like, I don't understand what the hell that means. But like, I'll never forget that. Cause I was just like, huh? <laughs> oh, translation. Yeah. That, that happens a lot with, with uh, Ford movies, unfortunately, but uh, I think it's gotten a little better now. Yeah, like on a lot of newer Blu-rays of Hong Kong films, they have like made new subtitles that actually make sense. All right, so the next uh, section that we do is a current events section. What, why, what made you do a current events section? Because I, I, I kind of like this one. What, what was? Why do you do that? Yeah, trying to try to figure out which are the action movies that came out this year that will still be influential in the future. Like people will look back at it uh, as a classic. And this year, uh, there were a couple of movies that stood out. Like one of them is RRR, the Indian film directed by SS Rajamuli, which is like three hours long and has incredible action scenes. So that's why one of the tasks is to watch an action film either directed by Rajamuli or starring Rama Rao or Ramu Charan, which are the two, two stars of the film. And like they all start with an R, which is why the movie is called RRR. So you can just pick which R you want to follow and check out another movie from that person. All right. I've never actually seen RRR yet. I'm kind of waiting for November, so that'll be. I'm gonna definitely watch RRR this November, and I'm I, I'm gonna to try to get the original audio language too, because the one that's on Netflix is actually a dubbed version, I think. 
of one of the languages. Yeah, the one on Netflix is dubbed in Hindi, and the original language is, I think, Telugu. And I watched it uh, in the theater a couple of weeks ago in the original language, and it was amazing. Yeah, I can't wait. And if you are listening and you are joining us and you haven't seen RR, you might as well just make that your movie too, since it's it's uh, it's gone international, that movie. Yeah, like Indian films don't really get that much distribution outside of India. So this is really special the way it has caught on. And I actually had watched one other film by SS Rajamouli in the previous November, which was Bahubali Part 1. So now I'm going to watch Part 2 this year. Are there more Indian films playing theaters in Germany now? Because in America, there are a lot more now. Well, they they get uh, super limited releases, like usually only in major cities and only single screenings. They still haven't really caught on in the mainstream. Yeah, there was a, a new one that just came out that uh, they're trying to do like a shared universe thing that I haven't checked out. But uh, there's definitely, it's definitely a cinema that more and more people are discovering and well-deserved too, because a lot like Hong Kong cinema is like stuff I've never seen before. So it's it's really an exciting time for that industry. Yeah, Indian cinema is also a huge blind spot for me. I've only watched a few movies, but I really like the way, similar to Hong Kong, like these films go extremely hard. And at the same time, they're very sincere about it. In a way, Hollywood movies are usually not. Like uh, in the Marvel movies, there's always this ironic distance. Like after a dramatic beat, you always have to put in a joke. And like in Indian cinema, it's not like this, it's completely over the top, but without winking at the audience. Yeah, I like the sincerity. That's that's something else they share a lot with Hong Kong cinema is that sincerity they do. Uh, the other current event movie was Top Gun Maverick, which is like, it's a good movie, but like, it is like a juggernaut right now. Like it's still... It's like one of the highest grossing movies in history. So like people are going to be just talking about Top Gun Maverick for a long time. Uh, did you like Top Gun Maverick? Were you a fan of it? Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Like uh, the, the flying scenes in it are incredible, like way better than the first one. And this is also like an opportunity to I like Tom Cruise because I've actually never done him in any previous November and now is pretty much the best time to watch any Tom Cruise movie you haven't seen yet. Yeah, he's one of the greatest stars to come out of America of all time. Uh, what's what's your favorite Tom Cruise movie? My favorite Tom Cruise movie? Uh, Collateral. He's really great playing a villain for a change. And I think he should do it more often because he always has this great intensity and in that film, he can channel it in a completely different way. 
Yeah, I haven't seen that one in a very long time. So that one might be one I need to revisit for November. All yeah, right. So, so this this year I'm gonna watch uh, Night and Day, which is one of the few Tom Cruise, movie, Tom Cruise movies I've never seen, and it kinda has a bad reputation. But uh, I mean, it's directed by James Mangold, who's usually good. So how, how bad will it be? It's probably fine. Yeah, I've never seen that one either. Apparently, there's a Indian remake of that as well. That's supposed to be better. I forget the name of it though. Ooh, I have to add that to my list as well. All right. So the next section is sort of a bittersweet section. It's the memorial special section where we highlight people who have passed away this this past year. So let's just kind of go through each one. And this is pretty much you watching uh, a movie starring or featuring this person. So the first one on the list is Dean Sheck, who we talked about earlier who's been in a few John Woo movies and, and lots and lot There's lots to choose from, basically, with Dean Shack. He had a long career. Yeah, like Dean Shack, most people remember him from the early Jackie Chan films like Drunken Master or Snake in the Eagle Shadow, where he kind of plays a comic relief character. And um, this memorial special is like an opportunity to also highlight some of the lesser known peoples, not just the big stars, because like an action movie wouldn't be uh, the same way without a great henchman or a great sidekick. So those actors who focused on that also kind of get a spotlight. Yeah, uh, for example, the, uh, the next one would be uh, Robert Wall. Um, tell us a little bit about Robert Wall and what what, what are some movies that uh, people should look out for. Uh, Robert Wall is a martial artist who is most well known for his father's O'Hara in Enter the Dragon and apparently also the same character in Blood and Bone, although I'm pretty sure he died in Enter the Dragon. It's kind of a cool tribute that he kind of shows up there again. And other than Enter the Dragon, he didn't really have that much of a career. But he's kind of an iconic henchman uh, actor just from that role. So this year I'm going to watch Firewalker with Chuck Norris, in which Robert Wallace apparently also acting, probably a minor part. I don't know. I still haven't seen it. So I'll let it surprise me. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie since it was on HBO back in the 80s. So I couldn't help you with that. Uh, But... uh... Now, the, the next person listed here is the one-armed swordsman himself, Jimmy Wang Yu, who passed away. That that He has uh, a very influential figure in Hong Kong cinema. So that was kind of sad to see that when he passed away, just because of the body of work that he had and how important he was to that. So what, uh, what movie are you going to watch from him? Yeah, I'm going to watch Return of the One-Armed Swordsman. I still haven't seen that. So uh, the first one on Swordsman was like a huge hit and it made Jamie when you like the biggest star at that time. And so this is the first sequel. And yeah, it's also directed by Cheng Che who did the first one and was like one of the 
most influential kung fu movie directors, usually uh, very melodramatic, very bloody, was like a major influence on John Woo, kind of like his mentor. I think John Woo worked as his assistant director on at least one film. So this all kind of ties together. And on a completely opposite note, we have uh, uh, watched a movie with Fred Ward, who died this year. Fred Ward is, uh, God, he was a character actor that I loved showing up in movies because he had that that voice um, that was, you kind of recognize him in a lot of different, a lot of different movies. Uh, Tremors, for example, is a big one of his that he did. Um, what uh, what film are you going to watch from Fred Ward? Yeah, I'm going to watch uh, Armored, uh, directed by Nimrod Antal, who also did Predators. Uh, I still haven't seen it, but it kind of sounds like fun. And Fred Ward is on this list because he's kind of a character actor. Could have been like an action hero. He had his major role in uh, Primo Williams, which was supposed to be a franchise like uh, a rival James Bond type thing, but it didn't really uh, catch on. So it's kind of like uh, a character actor who would be an action star in an alternate universe where that film would have been a success. I saw Remo Williams for the first time last year, and my dad liked that movie. I was a kid, but I never watched it. But uh, it's kind of it's probably in the long run a good thing that they didn't make more movies with uh, the his uh, the mentor character who's supposed to be Asian, played by a non Asian. We don't need more than one movie with yellow face to be popular. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, that character hasn't really aged well, but I mean they. They wouldn't really need him to carry on the, the franchise. I mean, he's like a mentor character. These characters usually die pretty early in a franchise. So the the next person I am actually very unfamiliar with. Uh, I don't even know if I could pronounce his name. Uh, do you know how to pronounce his name? I think it's pronounced uh, Junaid Arkin. He's like the biggest Turkish action star who also uh, died this year. And his, his most famous film outside of Turkey is uh, The Man Who Saved the World, also known as Turkish Star Wars, because it uses footage from Star Wars. Not, uh, a lot of Turkish movies kind of just reuse the music from Hollywood films, because Turkish copyright law kind of is really, really permissive that way. But aside from that, he is like dozens of action films. I've seen a couple of them already. Like there are lots of fast kicking, lots of jumping around on trampolines. It's really high energy stuff. But Turkish cinema in general, it's also a bit of a blind spot for me, but the stuff I've seen so far is amazing. It is 100% a blind spot. I don't think I've ever seen a Turkish action movie, but I'm really excited to kind of delve into it, you know, just because... I, one of the things I love is to kind of see how every country does action because some of them try to copy something you might see in the West, but then you've got other places where it's just like these people are insane. <laughs> at least, at least to my eyes, it's normal to them. But I'm excited for that one, for that cinema series. Uh, now, somebody that I know just because I'm really into wrestling and MMA, who also did lots of stunt work, is Gene Labelle. 
who's sort of like a there's like a legend to that guy almost like he's like a an influence to partly to the Brad Pitt character in Once Upon a Time in China, friends with Bruce Lee. You know, Gene LaBelle is a, a stunt performer and lots of various things, kind of a tough guy actor. And he died this year. Um, what uh, what are you looking to see with Gene LaBelle? Yeah, I'm going to watch Black Samson, which is a exploitation film. And I'm pretty sure Gene LeBeau plays a henchman in that, which is what he usually plays, like 70s, 80s, 90s, always kind of plays uh, guys who show up for one fight scene and look tough and are tough. Kind of classic that guy actor, aside from his uh, career as a legendary martial artist. Uh, and it's kind of... I uh, only uh, really started uh, recognizing his face uh, recently, like when I watched uh, Kickboxer 2 and Bloodfist, I think it was 4, in which uh, he uh, has uh, short appearances. The The next uh, thing we talked about earlier was uh, Wolfgang Peterson, legendary German director. He passed away, and you were going to watch Outbreak, you said. Yeah, um, yeah, lots of he he made a lot of great ones. I, I saw in the line of duty in theaters uh, when it was on its. So, one thing they don't really do that much anymore. I'm reminded of that they used to have back then was they had the second run theaters. So you'd have the movie would be out in the the main theater. Then there'd be like cheaper uh, movie theaters uh, here. It'd be like five bucks to go see a movie maybe even less than that so i got to see that like an old movie theater and that one kind of blew me away that was a good one yeah wolfgang peterson kind of had a had a great run in the late 80s early 90s i think throughout the entire 90s he had like nothing but hits until uh troy and then it kind of changed with a poseidon adventure which I think flopped, but his early Hollywood one was amazing. For sure. Uh, and then the last uh, one here uh, is a recent one is uh, Henry Silva, legendary character actor himself, who's been in countless movies. He just recently passed. Uh, like the first thing I think of with Henry Silva would be like Above the Law with Steven Seagal, but like He's had like a multiple decade career. Uh, so that was sad to see that him pass away, but he was like 94, man. So he, he lived a whole life. Yeah, Henry Silva had an amazing career. Like when he started in the 50s, like as a henchman actor, because he has like a very distinct face, he looks pretty scary. And then in the 70s, he went to Italy and starred in a lot of films, even playing the hero a couple of times. And he was still active, like in the 90s. He's in, in Ghost Dog by Jim Jarmus, playing one of the mob bosses. Like you said, he was in uh, Above the Law with Steven Seagal. He was in Code of Silence with Chuck Norris. So he's, he's kind of always playing the bad guy, uh, except for a few cases where he plays more like an anti hero. 
And the film I'm going to watch uh, this year is Johnny Poole from 1963, which is kind of a gangster movie where he plays the lead. Well, Henry Silver was cool, so that was good casting, I guess. <laughs> All right, so after the, that, we have the anniversary special, and I, this is cool, too, because it kind of just uh, celebrates some of the classic films that we love about action cinema that sort of carries the the, the thing for us and it kind of is the uh, inspiration for current movies and, and whatnot. So we'll just run through this here. Um, this is the 10th anniversary year for Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. So watch the movie by that director's uh, John Hyams who is the son of Peter Hyams, who is also an f- amazing director. Um, they're actually showing Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning in theater here in uh, October, but it's at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. Like, what do you guys... I can't make a 3 p.m. on a Tuesday, so that's going to be one I'm going to have to miss out on, but... What uh, what John Hyams movie do you plan on watching? And what is it about Day of Reckoning that is worth highlighting? Um, Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning, and also the one before that, Universal Soldier Regeneration, which was also directed by John Hyams, um, are two of the best uh, like legacy sequels, like the Universal Soldier franchise. It's, it's a bit weird. Like the first one came out 40 years ago, and they made two straight for television sequels, one and then another theatrical one with Van Damme uh, in the late 90s, which was a flop. And then they kind of brought it back uh, straight to video movies and Universal Social Regeneration was kind of a huge surprise. Like uh, it didn't seem that good because it's kind of one of these movies like Van Damme is kind of more of a supporting character kind of seems, seems uh, on first sight like a cash grab, but it really surprised me because this has great action, great atmosphere, and then the next one, Day of Reckoning, is even better. That's where John Himes really shines as a director, it's almost like an action-horror hybrid, kind of David Lynchian. So it's kind of unfortunate John Himes hasn't made that many films yet because he's one of the most uh, promising action directors who came out uh, this century. Yeah, he's definitely one that I wish did more movies, but uh, I'm sure he's working on something. Uh, The next thing here is uh, celebrating the 20th anniversary of The Transporter, uh, one of the first Jason Statham action movies. And I actually recorded a podcast episode on that for a podcast coming out called Wrath of Stath, my friend Rob Antiquera, where we spent like three hours talking about this movie because it rules. Uh, it's it's like the fights are great and Jason Statham's awesome in it. Um, what is it about Transporter that you like? Well, I, I liked it because before that I knew Jason Statham from the Guy Ritchie movies like Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. And he didn't really seem like an action star from his performance in that movies. Uh, it's more like uh, dialogue-based, comedic. 
And then when I saw the transporter, it really blew me away uh, how, how good he looked in those fight scenes. Like, he really put in the work and uh, Ko Yun uh, co-directed it and really uh, made him into an action star. And he's, he's still, like, one of the most reliable action stars we have nowadays working. Oh, for sure, yeah. No, everyone loves the staff. Uh What movie are you going to watch from him? Uh, I'm going to watch uh, Mechanic Resurrection, uh, which is the sequel to the Mechanic remake. Uh, still haven't seen this one. The first uh, Mechanic was okay, as long as you don't compare to the original Charles Bronson movie. But as a standalone action film, it was pretty solid. Yeah, I haven't seen those either. But the original, that was awesome. Yeah, the, the original from the 70s it's like one of the coldest uh, films, like emotionally, how how much every character in that is like complete psychopath. Charles Bronson and John Michael Vincent play contract killers. And there's like a scene in which uh, a friend of them kind of tries to kill herself and they just kind of watch their stone face to see if he actually does it. It's such a chilling scene. For sure. Uh, all right. So the next thing we'll do is celebrate the uh, career of Wesley Snipes because it's the 20th anniversary of Blade 2 and the 30th anniversary of Passenger 57. So what uh, Wesley Snipes movie have you not seen? Um, yeah, I'm going to watch a Blade Trinity. I still haven't seen it because it kind of has a bad reputation. I mean, I love the first two uh, Blade movies. I've kind of always avoided with this one, but uh, now it's time to finally like close the gap. I mean, this year, uh, Day Shift came out, which uh, in my letterbox review, I kind of jokingly wrote, they finally made a third Blade movie. So now I kind of have to check out the, the uh, official third Blade movie to see how it compares. Yeah, it's... it's, it's uh... It's a movie that exists. Uh, it's fine. It's the, there. It's one of those movies, though, that like in five more years from now, it's gonna be like, oh, Blade Three is amazing, and you're like, no, don't don't try. But hope you like it, though. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, Ryan Reynolds is in it, and I usually don't like him, so that might uh, already sink it. Yeah, probably. Uh, it's Speaking of awesome actors, uh, we're we're celebrating Chow Yun Fat because 30 years ago in one year he was in Hard Boiled and Full Contact, two incredible movies, two completely different performances. Um, and man, Chow Yun Fat's just one of the coolest dudes that ever made movies of all time. Uh, there, there's so many movies of his I still haven't seen because he's got such a big career, but. Uh, We'll be interested. I might check out Peace Hotel finally. Like I've been sitting on a copy of my my friend Mike gave me a year ago. Still sitting on it. So I feel like this is probably a good year to to check it out. What uh, what are you gonna see from Chow Yun Fat? Yeah, I'm gonna watch a Flaming Brothers, which is a heroic bloodshed film from '87, which I still haven't seen. So this, this film has been recommended to me several times. So. I'm looking forward to this. It's probably kind of a hidden gem. Yeah, it's a pretty cool movie. 
I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, now the next one here is uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary of Albert Pune's Nemesis by watching a movie from the star Olivier Gruner. Gruner, I always pronounce it wrong. Uh, a film starring him, and I think if it hasn't aired yet, it's going to air. The Art of Action with Scott Atkins is doing an episode with uh, with him. That's yeah, yeah it has already aired. Yeah, I'm gonna have to sit there and watch it because uh, he's not the best actor, but he's he's got some fun movies. And Nemesis is definitely one that's a lot better than people think it might be. Uh, so, what is it? Uh, what are you gonna see from Mr. Gruner? I'm gonna watch uh, Savage from 1996, which is one of the, the few early-ish Gruner films that I still haven't seen. Like uh, I've seen the, the more obvious ones, like Angel Town and Mercenary and Savard. Savard is really great. The one by the great Isaac Florentine. So yeah, this one seems kind of fun. I think it's kind of a sci-fi-ish direct-to-video movie. It sounds like exactly my jam. If you have you ever seen Automatic yet? Yeah, I've seen Automatic. I like that one a lot. That one is pretty fun for uh for that part from that uh direct video period i like that one uh the next thing here is uh to celebrate the life of brandon lee who sadly passed away way too young uh so it's the 30th anniversary of rapid fire is there a brandon lee movie you haven't seen yet yeah actually there is only one which is kung fu the movie which I guess is a spin-off from the television show with David Carradine. And apparently Brendan Lee is also in it in a supporting role. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious uh, how much he's actually in it. Yeah, I don't remember because I've never seen it. So I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, but that uh, Kung Fu, man, they had a the original TV show, they had some movies, and then they had a sequel series uh yeah that's that's a sore subject for some people i think but it's actually not a bad show uh let's see and then uh like foot nemesis watch a action film directed by elvin pion because 40 years ago he he did sword and the sorcerer um he's had so many movies of various quality but he's definitely has a unique vision usually in most of these movies so what is it about Albert Pion and what movie are you going to see so uh, I'm going to see The Sword and the Sorcerer which is his first movie and I still haven't seen it so I'm, I can just celebrate its anniversary directly and Albert Pion has always been kind of fascinating he's one of his uh, permanent underdog directors like usually working with extremely low budgets but always making it a pretty fun movie. A couple of weeks ago, I watched Alien from LA, which is a fun kind of science fiction uh, comedy movie. And Albert Pune is like, if you can look past the, the limitations of his budgets, he's a really uh, skilled action director. He's a great stylist. His films usually look pretty cool. 
yeah, that's that's definitely the thing. He can work within his budget, and it always looks a lot better than you would think when you find out how much that cost. So, uh, Albert Pion. Uh, next thing here is a fourth anniversary of Ninja and the Dragon's Den. I've never seen it, but it is uh, from Corey Yen, legendary Corey Yen from the legendary Yen family. Uh, God, there's so many movies to see, man. What are you going to see from Corey Yen? I'm going to watch uh, The Bodyguard from Beijing, uh, starring Jet Li, uh, which is one of a few um, early Jet Li films I still haven't seen. And Li and Jun have collaborated so often. He's like his, his most uh, frequent choreographer and director. And Corey Yun is just one of his directors was kind of underrated, like his career stopped after uh, he made DOA as his final movie, like the video game adaptation, which is a ton of fun. And uh, this year, like his best movie, in my opinion, Writing Once, finally came out on Blu-ray. It's one of these films that was always pretty hard to get, like out of print DVDs and stuff. So this is this year is like great year for him. The anniversary of his first movie, Ninja and the Dragon's Den, and the anniversary of uh, The Transporter, which he co directed. And the thing about uh, him in The Transporter is if you listen to the audio cam- commentary by Louis Leterrier, who is the other director of the film, uh, Leterrier says, like, this is my first movie, and Corian has already directed so many masterpieces. So I'm just gonna handle the dialogue scenes and let him do his magic and this is kind of the difference between a director like Leteria and uh, Olivier Megaton who directed the third Transporter movie which sucks despite being choreographed by Korean because he kind of thinks he knows better than the experts so he fucks up the, the action scenes in the edit so in order to be a competent director you don't need to be a genius you just kind of need to be able to recognize talent and let the experts do their job. It's also how he made like Jet Li's best uh, Western film in Unleashed because he just let Yuan Wuping direct the action. Uh, yeah, and that's why Leterrier has a good career and who be, nobody cares about Megaton. So that's probably why. <laughs> Speaking of experts uh watch a film with bruce lee because it's the 50th anniversary of fist of fury and the way of the dragon that's crazy by the way 50 years ago making those movies what are you gonna watch from bruce lee yeah since bruce lee hasn't really made that many films and i've already seen the official ones i'm gonna watch uh, exit the dragon enter the tiger which is a bruce Plotation film which technically features stock footage from him so he is in it so this is probably pretty crazy and may or may not be completely unwatchable but post-production films are usually pretty fun yeah yeah that's uh pretty funny that they used clips so yeah that works uh i don't know much about that movie if it's good or not but uh the whole Bruce exploitation era is wild because there's some like really good ones and there's just some real pieces of crap. 
Um, but that's just because of what a huge culture impact that Bruce Lee had on uh, not only uh, for Chinese people, but like everyone around the world. So like 50 years, we're still talking about him. So that says a lot. Yeah, it was kind of crazy time. Like, um, Fist of Fury and Way of a Dragon came came out in the same year, at least in Hong Kong, I think. In other parts, they came out the year after that. Yeah, it's finally time to celebrate uh, Bruce Lee. It would have been either this year or the next one, because next year would be the 50th anniversary of Enter the Dragon. But since this is like two classics in one year, it should be this year. Speaking of classics here, the next one here is an action film by Kenji Masumi to celebrate 50 years of Lone Wolf and Cub and 60th anniversary of Zatuichi. I've never seen either one of these, which is super embarrassing that I hope nobody makes fun of me for, but um, I should just watch both of them this month and just like watch all all this stuff because there's so many of these. Uh, what makes... Both Lone Wolf and Covens at Twitchy, so classic. The kind of the definitive uh, samurai swordplay films, like Satoichi came out in 62, and then there's like 25 or 26 sequels, and they were cranking them out like several per year. Um, and then Ten years later, Kenji Misumi, the same director, started the next iconic franchise with uh, Lone Wolf and Cap, which were six movies, which also came out like in a two or three year span. So, and these films are incredibly influential. Like, if you look at stuff like Kill Bill, a lot of that is taken directly from um, the Lone Wolf and Cap films. And they even name drop like Shogun Assassin in it, which is like the re-edited version of the first two Lone Wolf and Cup films. So yeah, Kenji Misumi is like one of the most influential Japanese action directors. Yeah, for somebody who's really into action movies like myself, I have so many ridiculous, embarrassing blind spots. Uh, that's why I'm glad I do we do this because like it fills in these spots for people like myself, which is nice. Uh, next thing here, James Bond movie for 60th anniversary of Dr. No. Do you have a James Bond blind spot? No, I've seen all of them like several times. I used to have all of them on VHS and then all of them on DVD and I'm too cheap to upgrade all of them to Blu-ray, but yeah, I've, I've seen them several times. So I'm just gonna watch Dr. No again. Yeah, that's actually a, another series. I don't haven't seen it as many as you'd think. Like I fought, I watched my first Sean Connery last year with uh I watched uh uh which one did I watch? Uh from Russia with Love, which was no, awesome. I, I I really enjoyed that one. So I'll probably watch another watch another uh maybe Doctor No might as well, right? That's the first one. I think that's the first one, right? Yeah, that's the first one. The first official one like there was an adaptation of casino royale made for television in the 50s so technically that would be the first one but i don't think it has a lot of action so 
it wasn't nearly as influential as uh, Dr. No. Uh, speaking of influential for me, uh, you should watch a most dangerous game adaptation or ripoff to celebrate 90th anniversary of the original. Uh, Cause one of my favorite movies ever is hard target from John Woo, which is clearly a most dangerous game ripoff. Probably in my mind, the greatest most dangerous game ripoff. Uh, there's some other great ones though. What are you going to watch? Yeah, I'm going to watch uh, The Million Game, which is a German made-for-television film from the 70s. And it's kind of like The Running Man. Like It's about a game show in which candidates get hunted by other people. And apparently, some people who watched it on television back in the day thought it was real. And they like called in either to complain about this or to actually uh, sign up as a candidate to, to get hunted. Wait, some people were like, I want to be hunted on this show that's like, was it like a found footage type thing? No, or was no it... I think it just looks like a regular movie, but so... some people are just kind of really gullible. That's amazing. I love stories like that. Uh, and what, man, I'm going to have to see if I can find a copy of that. I don't, I don't think it's probably a easily defined outside of Germany, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's probably hard to find, but I guess not impossible. If it was impossible, you wouldn't be watching it, right? Yeah. Uh, the last one here for this section is to celebrate Douglas Fairbanks' uh, 100th anniversary of Robin Hood. Douglas Fairbanks was a, an early star of cinema who uh, had some really good uh, sword fighting techniques right yeah douglas fairbanks was like one of the original action stars like he was famous for doing a lot of his own stunts like in the silent era so and this year i actually watched uh, his version of uh, robin hood uh, in the cinema i on film with live music and it blew me away the film uh, is incredibly fast-paced as great action Douglas Fairbanks has a great screen presence. So I'm going to watch uh, his Zorro movie, The Mark of Zorro, uh, this year, which I guess has like similar swashbuckling action. Yeah, Robin Hood's great. Uh, I haven't seen a Zorro movie. I haven't actually seen a whole lot of his stuff um, just because, you know, it's like not always easy to watch real older movies, but. He's definitely one to to go back and see just just to kind of see what action was even like back then. Is you know, there's a lot of things you can learn from those movies that you can probably take now to make things make good action scenes. Probably, yeah, it's kind of crazy if you watch like the films Buster Keaton and Howard Lloyd made back in the day, kind of crazy stunts they had in there, which have directly influenced Jackie Chan. So. And even some of the techniques, like I remember in one Buster Keaton film I watched a couple of years ago, there was like speed ramping in there, like actual hand cranked speed ramping because they didn't have automatic cameras back in the day. So they'd actually have to crank faster in order to slow it down, like in the same shot. Wow, that's that's cool that when you, you see stuff like techniques like that then that they use now it's pretty amazing 
Uh, next thing here is to celebrate Dolph Bronson Day, like we talked about. Uh, watch a Dolph Lundgren Charles or and a Charles Bronson movie because they were both born on November third, one of the greatest days of the year. Uh, what what movies are you gonna watch for them? I'm gonna watch a Castle Falls in which Dolph Lundgren co-stars with Scott Atkins, and I think he also directed that one. So yeah, Atkins has been cranking out a lot of movies lately, and I still have some catching up to do. Like every year, once uh, I look away for a couple of months, there's already a new Scott Atkins movie out, and it's usually pretty good. So yeah, Atkins versus Lundgren, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, actually, I can tell you, Castle Falls is, is a pretty solid movie, especially with the, the the resources, filming it during the pandemic and everything. You can tell because there's like 10 people in the movie, but like it's a it's a breezy watch with some good acting and some good action. So hope you like that one. And uh, what about Charles Bronson? So I'm going to watch A Violent City from 1970, which is an Italian action film, which I still haven't seen, like uh, Telly Savalas and Jill Ireland are also in it. And it's directed by Sergio Solima, who has directed some of my favorite Westerns. So I'm kind of curious how uh, his style kind of fits into a modern day action movie. Yeah, that does sound really interesting. Charles Bronson, man, that's another guy with an awesome filmography. Just like he's just like got this like old withered face. Like he was probably born that way. He just probably looked old as a baby. <laughs> that kind of yeah, served it, him well. It's weird when you see him in really early roles, like in I think in House of Wax, where he plays the henchman, and he already kind of looks uh, old. Like he never looked young. Just kind of looked slightly less weathered. That's that's uh pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, let's see the next this little section. I like I like these uh, diversity of badass cinema. One of the things I love about action movies is just how diverse it can be, uh, whether in front of the camera, behind the camera just because every country will will do like their own different style of action. So the first thing here would be watching an action film directed by a woman. Um, somebody like uh, Catherine Bigelow, for example, uh, is a great action director that happens to be a woman. But there's so many more now coming out, more and more. It's pretty great to see. Um, what are you going to watch? I'm going to watch Data Bates which is a 70s exploitation film directed by Beverly, Sebastian, and Third Sebastian. I don't know if they were like married or brothers and sister or whatever, but like it's co-directed by a woman. And this film like, is one of these amazing 70s posters. I kind of picked it exclusively based on the poster. Ah, yes, the old great poster movie hopefully it lives up to it and never does uh you know who's actually a good uh director uh gina prince bythewood who did the woman king that's getting a lot of good reviews she's uh slowly becoming one of the best uh action directors right now which is pretty cool yeah it's kind of crazy uh you don't really 
think about uh, like uh, women action directors, but if you actually look it up, there are a lot of action movies uh, directed by women, like Letterboxd has this list of movies directed by women and you can filter it by genre. And it's a way longer list than you might expect. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Um, and I'm also starting to see a lot more women uh, stunt coordinators for movies too, which I really like because they bring like a different perspective to fight scenes. Uh, it's good to have the next generation have different points of view, you know. So that's what what I like about badass cinema it's how diverse it is uh also watch action film from three different countries uh are some easy to do because this list we have already is so varied that you could easily get three different countries off of three different parts of this list but are you doing any countries that you have never seen an action movie from Yes, this is like one of the things you could make it easy or you could make it hard. It's up for everyone else to decide it for their own list. So I always try to pick countries which I haven't seen any action films from. So this year I'm picking Nigeria because I'm not really familiar with Nigerian cinema, although it's like one of the biggest film industries in Africa. So I'm watching The Lost Okoroshi. Um, I really don't know anything about this movie. I'm just going to let it surprise me. So the, the next country would be North Korea. Like, I mean, South Korean cinema is huge nowadays, but North Korean cinema also exists. And I've, I think I've only seen a one North Korean film so far, which was a pretty crappy propaganda film, like part one of a 64-part series about some famous North Korean uh, folk hero. So this year I'm going to watch Bulgasari, which is like the North Korean uh, Godzilla ripoff. Wow, like, I didn't even realize North Korea had movies, but if they were going to have movies, it makes sense that they're going to be heavily propaganda. <laughs> yeah, like I think Kim Jong-il was uh, a huge movie buff. So he always wanted North Korea to have a film industry, but it's never really caught on outside of uh, North Korea. So this could be interesting. And the third one would be uh, Ireland. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've seen Irish action films or at least co-productions of films that were shot there. But the one I picked is Fatal Deviation, which kind of has like a reputation as a pretty crappy movie, but the footage I've seen from it looks kind of fun. Like they directly lift the one scene from Hard Target where he stands up on the motorcycle uh, while uh, during a car chase. So uh, I'm kind of curious how this looks like on a super low budget trying to pull off this kind of stunt. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty wild. I mean, it- that scene's already pretty ridiculous as it is. So to see somebody else try it, it sounds pretty wild. There's actually a movie that just came out from Senegal, Saloom. I don't know if you've heard of this one yet. Yeah, I've seen it. You've seen it? Yeah, it's uh, great. Yeah, it just came on uh, Shudder, I think. But uh, I might hold that off and watch that at, in uh, November. But yeah, that one sounds pretty wild. 
Oh yeah, there. You're muted. See, yeah, for extra credit, you can watch an action film directed by a stunt performer. There's so many. I mean, you could just yeah, like, watch Day Shift if you want. <laughs> yeah, Mike Scott like recently had his list on Polygon of underrated films directed by stunt performers. So that's a good a starting point. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of other options, like anything directed by Jackie or Samo Hung. But I'm going to watch Broken Path because I think uh, Mike has mentioned this several times uh, on several of his podcasts. Like Broken Path, directed uh, by Koichi Sakamoto, it kind of uh, didn't get a proper release but it's available on YouTube. Yeah, that movie is basically a 90-minute stunt reel, and the, the fights are pretty awesome. So that's definitely one to check out. And the the lead of that, uh, he's got a movie coming out, or he's making a movie right now that has just like Harvey Keitel and Dolph Lundgren and a bunch of other like actors that are like really recognizable and stuff. So hopefully... That will come out and be awesome. Uh, yeah, so that's um, that's the Movember list, everybody. Uh, if you want to learn more about it, uh, check out uh, by uh, at Movember W O O V M B R uh, Twitter account. I'll, in the show notes, I'll link that the letterboxed. I'll link Olay's letterboxed, and um, I hope you guys will participate. It feels like more and more people every year do it. Um, doesn't quite have the reach as a hooptober but horror fans there's a lot of them and they like doing this kind of stuff so even even if it's just you and i have a great time doing it so just to, the fact that anybody else joins us is amazing so i hope they more people do it this year and have fun with it yeah i had a lot of fun creating the, the challenge like i would do it even if no one joins so if people join and spread the word that just is the icing on the cake. Like, I would watch action movies in November no matter what. Yeah, man. I, I do super appreciate that you do all the hard work that I would just be too lazy to do uh, as as the programmer. I mean, like, I came up with this, this idea just because I was bored in November, and you've really ran with it and made it something really fun and unique and I really super appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on the show, talking a little bit about growing up in Germany and getting into movies and going through this list. So I uh, appreciate it very much. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. This was fun. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch you next time.